0: Africa is experiencing a tech boom. In 2022, it was a record year for African startup funding, despite a global downturn for tech almost everywhere else. And according to data from ParTech Partners, Africa tech financing in 2022 was four and a half times what it was just four years prior. Nigeria is one of the continent's main tech hubs, especially the city of Lagos. And there's a gender gap in the tech scene, There are, unfortunately, very few women in leadership roles, and ones that have made it to the upper levels often face discrimination.
1: 56% of these female founders and C-suite executives in Nigeria's tech industry, they reported that they had faced gender-based challenges in the workplace.
0: This is Ada Osakwe. She's a prominent angel investor and entrepreneur in Nigeria, and someone we featured on the show before. She's citing a survey conducted by the Nigerian news site Tech Cabal.
1: 56 percent, that's the majority of women working in the tech industry.
0: So, So it's a big deal. So how do you address this issue? Ada says now more than ever, Nigeria's tech industry needs more women at the helm.
1: I strongly believe that we wouldn't move the needle if we don't have more women who have a seat at the leadership table.
0: I'm Rina Nainen. On today's episode of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, a production of Foreign Policy, we're focusing on the challenges female tech entrepreneurs face in trying to launch startups and obtain leadership roles. Later on, we hear more from Ado Sakwe, one of the premier angel investors in female led startups. She'll share how the tech community is trying to hold executives accountable for a number of important issues, including sexual harassment. Sometimes it can be hard to understand just how difficult it can be for any one individual to overcome this intense discrimination. But we're going to start today with the story of one tech entrepreneur based in Abuja, Nigeria's capital. Here's reporter Nelly Kalu.
2: Choma Agwego is the founder of TechHer NG, a nonprofit organization which fosters a tech community of learning, support, and collaboration of women and girls based in Abuja, Nigeria. The former journalist got the idea of starting TechHRNG about a decade ago. She noticed there weren't many young Nigerian women collectively exploring tech within the digital space. Or so she thought. And with that in mind, she wanted to draw them out. I
3: put out a tweet and I said, listen, if you use technology in any way and you're a woman, if you use digital in any way, please fill out this form and let's grab a drink.
2: Choma thought she'd get a few applicants.
3: I think after two days, we had over 100 people fill the form.
2: The initial concept for TechHer was for women to network and develop tech skills. At that first meeting, Chima was impressed with how eager everyone was to both teach and learn.
3: During the event, we asked women, what would you like to learn about technology? And someone said, I would like to learn how to use MailChimp. Now, at the time, I was working with a very, very lovely young lady called Lara Raji, who we had just taught to use MailChimp like two weeks before. And then she put up her hand and said, you know, I can teach you. And they immediately moved to a corner. And I said to myself, there's something here.
2: This inspired Choma to do more with Tekka.
3: We can create a platform, a safe space for women to say they want to learn about anything that has to do with technology. And there will be another woman just like them to teach. And that's, where, that's pretty much where Tekka was born from.
2: Tekka empowers women and girls in a few ways. One, it educates women on how to spot and report online predators, and additionally, the workshops demonstrate how to use technology to report physical incidents of gender-based violence. Beyond that, TechHer educates women and girls to give them digital skills to become more competitive in business. While Chioma was encouraged by women's enthusiasm for her organization, she has
3: faced some steep obstacles especially from men. I had written a proposal to a ministry for, they wanted to do um, a youth engagement program across the country. This was back when she worked as a
2: communications consultant. The proposal was for a 14 million naira grant, which then was the equivalent to around $80,000. This would have been a transformational sum. The money was to be used to educate youth in tech and would have changed many lives. As the proposal progressed, Chuma was invited to meet with a leader in Nigeria's Ministry of Youth and Sports.
3: And I remember that the director I was talking to, he said I should come meet him somewhere. I think it was a hotel. And I'm like, why? And he was like, oh, just for us to discuss, you know, that there's so much we need to go over. Chuma
2: realized what the offer was. He would exchange funds if she slept with him. She did not feel empowered to reject him outright, so she kept coming up with excuses to delay the meeting.
3: I said, oh, my father is coming. I said, okay, that's, yes, that's, so let's fix for another day. And I tried and I, I, I lied so many times. My father is coming. My leg is hurting. And I think at some point he and I realized I wasn't going to do this thing. And so I would then call. It just seemed like the whole proposal stalled. I would call, you know, he wouldn't respond. One day I called and he started yelling, I shouldn't call him again. And that was it. So she wasn't able to get the funding from the ministry. At
2: the time, the experience made her feel powerless and she didn't know how to hold him accountable. It was devastating, but not surprising to Chioma. This kind of behavior is common in Nigeria and women face sexual harassment regularly. Because of a push for female empowerment, Chioma was particularly exposed. She constantly had to navigate through men making comments about her sex life in business meetings Men trolling her online because of her feminism.
3: The day we tweeted, the day we registered the Twitter accounts for Tech Her, somebody registered Tech Him and said something about, you know, women are always excluding men, blah 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 and started tweeting at us. And I'm just like, this is ridiculous behavior.
2: Again and again, men in power abused their power and didn't take her ambition seriously. But these experiences did not deter her. CHOMA went on to develop different tech workshops, particularly for underprivileged girls. One that stands out was done in conjunction with the British Council on the Rule of Law. It's an EU anti-corruption program. The program was called Her Story, Our Story, and it provided a platform for women and girls to share their trauma living through sexual gender-based violence. Beyond that, Choma and her team worked to compile hard data to present to the public about the extent of the problem in Nigeria.
3: We conducted some research in Nigeria on the forms of online violence, the expressions of this violence, the effects, and also the remediation options that people had.
2: Through a multi-pronged campaign that included PSAs, online videos, and working with celebrity influencers, Choma and her organization made a push to shed light on the issues of gender-based violence. She was determined to change the narrative in people's minds in order to generate empathy for victims of sexual abuse.
3: And I kept on saying to myself, I have so many questions, I have so many questions. And one of those questions was, why is it that whenever somebody says they have faced any form of violence, we have more you know, interrogation than empathy for those types of people?
2: Shoma's goal was to give women a voice while also pushing for change. She backed up these powerful stories with hard facts that couldn't be overlooked. This is Tekha's call to action, to support and protect women.
3: So the work we do around online gender-based violence is kind of threefold. One, there's the education bits of it. Two, there's the response bit of it. But there's also the documentation because when you want to advocate and when you want to ask for a change in policy or the strengthening of policy, you need to have data.
2: Chama's workshops teach vital lessons on how to protect oneself from online predators. But her main goal is to get young children excited about technology and what it means for their future.
3: One thing we found from the early days of Tekka is that if you just teach people web design or coding or any of those fancy things without giving them something to apply it to or without showing them something that's already in their life that they can apply it to, they will pick up the skill and they will drop it the same way you pick up a language and you drop it if you don't speak it. So we show them how you can add just a bit of digital to your life. You know, okay. we show them that technology is like a knife. You can either use it to peel an orange or stab a person or improve your business. And then we help them see ways that they can make the decision for what's best for them.
2: It's now been nearly a decade since Joma started TECHHA, and already she's seen it grow as a means for both empowerment and safety for women and children in Nigeria. She believes the more women unlock the power of technology, the freer they'll be to access all the world has to offer. For the Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, I'm Nelly Kalu.
0: Up next, how the tech community in Nigeria is holding leaders accountable for a variety of issues, including sexual harassment. All that after the break. Welcome back to The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, a production of Foreign Policy. I'm Rina Nainen. Now we'll talk more with Ado Sakwe, who you heard from at the top. Ado Sakwe is the founder of the Newly Juice Company, as well as the angel investment firm Agrilay Ventures. She shared with me what she thinks is needed to have real accountability in Nigerian tech.
1: What's relevant, I would say, in the last few years are, are two forms of accountability. One is, you know, around sexual misconduct in the tech ecosystem that really came front and center and took center stage in conversations due to a lot of allegations in the last two to three years. And then the second one will be something around governance, you know, governance accountability. And that's really a pertinent issue among the tech and the venture capital ecosystem today.
0: In the first part of our show today, we spoke with a female founder who faced a number of instances of sexual harassment from people outside her company, especially from potential funders. That's a big problem. You were actually telling us about a number of Me Too type stories in Nigerian tech in the last few years, a few founders who faced public accusations of sexual harassment. Can you tell me a little bit about these? And I'm curious if these founders were held accountable.
1: I was looking at some of the data, I don't, I just, just off the top of my head, I could count at least seven different startups, you know, some of the biggest names in the startup in ecosystem in Africa, you know, some of them on the path to becoming unicorns. And you have allegations of young people coming out mostly on Twitter or through you know, private letters being sent saying that they were abused or they were harassed sexually, verbally. And when I looked at these cases, there's only one I could count that the founder was actually, or the CEO was actually asked to step aside by the board or by the investors. Only one. And that for me is just ludicrous. You know, you have other cases that they make investors or board members would make the movements, right? They would say, we're setting up a private investigative panel. We are getting a lawyer involved to check on these accusations. We will investigate. In some cases, they tell the CEO who's under investigation to step aside. But in most cases, Rina, these CEOs are reinstated in these leadership positions, that getting the returns on their investment is more important to them than ensuring that people are treated with decency and full-blown humanity. So I really can understand it. The, the data is there and it's showing that it's not, things are not going in the right direction.
0: What are your thoughts when sexual harassment happens by somebody from another company who's not actually within your own company? How do you deal with that?
1: There has been a call for not just at the company level, but at an industry-wide level to say no to sexual harassment, to come out with the rules and the policies and the frameworks to address these issues. Because right now you really can't do anything. For example, you mentioned earlier that someone you spoke with spoke to the fact that it was an investor. I have heard those issues. I have been on the receiving side of inappropriate behavior. I'm just the sort of person that I'm bold enough to deal with it right there and then and call it out. But some people just don't, you know, and, and, and that's the majority of folks. So is there an avenue to go to to report this today? No. So on an industry level, these are things that need to be taken more seriously.
0: You were telling us about incidents that make you think about many startups, lack of accountability, just in general. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: This now starts going beyond accountability goes beyond when there are issues of sexual harassment or sexual impropriety. Recently, there have been big issues on financial impropriety as well. And, and I think that this is a big deal. So when you later hear that money that was given or invested was being used for other things, You have to stop and wonder, right, that do we have the right governance practices in place and the policies we spoke about that truly hold people accountable when this happens? And it's been a conversation industry-wide right now of how investors can come together to draft out and draw up the right sort of codes of conduct when it comes to these sorts of behaviors the VC investor community is quick to come together to say, hey, we need to do something on this. We need to put governance practices and codes of conduct together for founders to abide by. But no one did that when it came to the issues two years ago of sexual harassment. You didn't get the VC community coming together to say, hey, let's set up working groups to make sure that we have codes of conduct around how women are being treated in the workplace. And in many cases, Rina, I just look at the numbers of who these people are around the table. Only 6% of general partners in Africa, in, in the VC space in Africa, are female. Only 6%. So when you ha- you come at it from a lens that is not the same lens as, you know, the, the people who are actually On the receiving side of this behavior, you can never truly address the core of the issue. We need more female leaders in the fund management space.
0: You interact with a lot of great startups as well. You invest in them. I'd love to hear some examples of startups that you've seen with really particularly strong accountability measures and how they got there.
1: I think about one that that I've seen that developed hers. You know, she's one of those that I believe when I invested in her, she didn't have governance. She didn't have a board. You know, you can imagine you're a young founder. You're just trying to get by. You're focused more on meeting payroll and just making sure that your business, your revenues are growing and your business is stable and it survives. Following my investment, she did start with an advisory board, And today, and this is like seven years later, she has one of the most exciting, most proper corporate governance practices I've seen in a startup. She sends her financial statements on time. She sends, makes sure that every year the proper audited statements done by the auditor, not just the management accounts. She's gone on to raise institutional capital, and this helps as well. So there's a board, apart from the board, there's the general shareholders meeting as well. Things go by these agreements, the shareholder agreements, everything that's within that, the purview of shareholders is brought up at these meetings. So I have seen it go from zero to, I <laughs> would know, say, 80%, you know, 90% of proper corporate governance in a startup. So it is possible.
0: How common is it for startups to have? Boards of directors in Nigeria.
1: It's not common at all for startups to have boards in Nigeria. And in many cases, it's because at some point there was too much money floating in the system. And you had investors, sometimes from outside, not on the ground, not boots on the ground in Nigeria. And they were pumping this money in at ridiculously high valuations without doing the diligence that was required, without asking for accountability who's your board who's your cfo what sort of financial practices do you have in place what policies do you have when it comes to moving money and how do you report these things how how frequently do you report i think a mckinsey study showed that only about 5% of ceos in africa were women 29% of senior leadership were women so we have to just have more women on the leadership tables
0: If you could rewrite the rules of governance that would really help startups transform based on your knowledge and as an angel investor, what would your top three rules be?
1: I think my first rule would still keep a board nice and small. I think five members is great to start, three to five at your final close for the fund. I think governance is important. You learn, you grow as a leader you need those voices um, that will keep you in check. So, it, so keep it small and agile for you to keep growing and not being overly distracted or held back. I believe that the second one will be around just knowing that there's proper accountability. So things shouldn't be there just for rubber stamps, but they should actually, these rules and policies should be followed across the board when it comes to to governance, to Financial management, to the culture around quality and pay and, and things like that. you know Africa is still growing. Um, our tech community is still growing, and it's, it's an exciting time to back companies, and the most important thing right now is that there are people who are committed to making a change for the better.
0: And I want to thank you so much. Your understanding of the ecosystem in Nigeria, the business community, the startup community and founders uh, is just so incredible. We're really grateful you could share your guidance and your understanding of the industry.
1: Thank you, Ina, And thanks for touching on this really important topic that's not spoken of enough
0: Next week on the podcast, we visit the world of Kenyan newsrooms and follow the story of a courageous woman who forced leadership to make changes both on air and behind the scenes.
3: I was very happy to move to a leadership position where I could be able to influence
0: policy. The story of a news reporter who empowered herself and other women in media by turning the lens on her bosses. All that next week. And that does it for today's show, The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women is a production of Foreign Policy and is made possible through funding in part from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women is hosted by me, Rena Ninan. Laura Rosbrow-Tallam is our senior producer. Rob Sachs, our managing director. Avan Munoz provided production assistance. And if you like our show, we hope you'll share the love. If you're on social media, do post about it. And if not, tell a friend how much you appreciate the show Every little bit helps us grow our audience. Thanks again. We'll be back in your feed next week.